Hello everyone, so I decided to discuss my being fully crystal clear on my viewpoints on Jesus as well as secularity. I want to start off by saying that I think that society and some remnants of the church have misstated Jesus, misrepresented Jesus, misportrayed Jesus, misdepicted Jesus, and misconceptualized Jesus. I also think that society and some remnants of the church have Jesus as their ultimate fear tactic and their ultimate bully tactic. As I have been studying the scriptures as well as reading secular literature, what historians, scholars, and scientists have to say about Jesus is what I'm really articulating. I come to the conclusion that Jesus was a man who was a safe space for doubters for skeptics, for people with disabilities, for women, for men, for children. For the poor, for widows, for the homeless, for those suffering from diseases and infections. For sex workers. For women with reproductive concerns like menstruation cycles, for example. For people who wanted to break free from the 
tyrannical control of the Roman Empire for people who who wanted to have healthy understandings of what the divine means without being made to feel like they were tied down by their past. And for people who are made to feel like they were less than nothing because they were illiterate. From what I've gathered, um, if Jesus were alive today, he would be soothing to people with autism, people with Down syndrome, people with dyslexia. non-binary individuals weed smokers gamblers the LGBTQI plus community secularists, and people of all the other religions. If Jesus were alive today, he would be soothing to people who wear provocative clothing, who wear words on their clothes, and the words are on their buttocks or their chest who wear tattered clothes who have bodily piercings who have plastic surgeries who are profane swearers who who like to drink alcohol. And even those 
who have a history of drug usage. This is what I mean by soothing, because many people in the church would accuse me of glorifying sin, which is not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is, is this. When I say soothing, I mean that there would be nothing about Jesus that would make all these kinds of people feel repelled by him. They would not feel repulsed by him. They would not feel disgusted with him. They would not feel trepidation about him because from what I've read about him, he had a way of disarming the socially unacceptable people of his day. And he would be the exact same way in terms of the socially unacceptable people of our modern day, right? They would feel protected. They would feel respected. They would feel loved. They would feel liked. They would feel honored. They would feel cherished. They would experience inner peace with him. And they would experience a sense of world peace regarding him. And I've came to these conclusions based upon me studying Jesus much more than I've ever done. Like recently, I've been studying him. And I would say, well, Jesus also had a way of... He saw himself in you. And he had he was habitually doing that when it came to what I've read about him. And those same people who are considered socially unacceptable, they could see themselves in him. He had a way of resonating with people and it was never contrived. He had a way of relating to people. It was never contrived. He had a way of um, being relatable to people, and it wasn't contrived. He gave people a sense of, it's okay to healthily learn. It's okay to healthily unlearn. It's okay to healthily relearn. It's okay to healthily think. It's okay to healthily unthink. It's okay to healthily rethink. And he often exuded that to people the most that were considered the socially unacceptable. And so what that means for me is that Jesus allowed people to be true to themselves and he allowed people to understand that I'm not trying to make you a carbon copy of me. I want you to embrace the Christ likeness within you. And I know you're capable of doing it because I've seen you do it many times. And 
He also wanted people to um, tap into their full humanity. And he wanted them to know that, hey, your doubts and skepticism make complete sense make complete sense to me. Therefore, I don't take any of them personally because I know they are rooted within pure-heartedness. How do I define pure-heartedness? A soft heart. How do I define Christ-likeness? The, the mixture of inner beauty with contextual wisdom combined. In other words, you are wholesomely appropriate about all sides of your truthful character. So that's how I look at Look at Jesus. Um, I also when I think about him, I noticed that many church people say you tend to give non-religious interpretations of Jesus. Why is that? And this is my response. Based upon what I've studied about Jesus, he never liked being confined. He never liked being constrained. He never liked being restrained. He never liked being restricted. He never liked being constricted. He never liked being put in a box. He never liked being suffocated. He never liked being made to feel that he had to endure claustrophobia. And he never liked being typecasted either. He never liked having to play a singular role, but he was a man of many roles. What does that mean? Jesus was a blue collar worker, working with his hands, working with construction type of tools. And um, what I mean by that is this. Jesus was considered a tecton. So Jesus was a tecton. Um, Carpenter, woodworker, builder... Um, artisan, craftsman, um, 
But, you know, I honestly think that Jesus was also a skilled iron worker, smith, stone worker, or mason, because I feel like when it came to the world of construction, he could do all those things. I think he was one of those type of workers where whatever you needed him to fix, he could do it. Um, so I, I, I feel like he wasn't just a carpenter. He was the jack of all trades in the construction, fixing, repairing, repairman type of world. He, Jesus was a man of vocational skills. So he could do everything that trade school teaches people. That's how I look at him based upon me learning about his occupations. Um, I feel that Jesus utilized his vocational skills to have a ministry that Maybe ministry can be a triggering word for some people, and I understand that. I'm only saying that because I know that believers will listen to this. So, for some, for believers that believers call it a ministry, for people that are not Christian, I think he I, I'm gonna call it a journey. Right, And I think that he had a journey where he used his vocational skills to approach uh, political marginalization, um, economic inequities, and... social inequality and I feel like a lot of his parables were centered upon his vocational skills he was an agricultural person so when I think of Jesus I think of someone that um, was And it's to my knowledge, um, a person that was big on being well-balanced, well-rounded, well-adjusted, and well-unified as a fully human being. Because I noticed that he was big on self-care, um, always walking and he had a, you know, climbing hills, mountains, and often spent solitary time, you know. In other words, he was always by himself when he needed to be. And he retreated from people when he needed to. And um, he, he had a Mediterranean diet, so he was what many people would call a health nut. He was that. But him being a health nut... But is that was actually a good thing. 
Um, and because of his occupation, his Mediterranean diet, and his consistent walking, he was definitely a physical specimen. I wouldn't, I would not say Incredible Hulk or Hercules, that's taking it way too far, but he was not a he was not a weakling. He would he had physical strength, and um, he never used his physical strength to torment nor torture anybody. That's what I know for certain. And um, he was a person that drank alcohol in moderation. I'm not saying that to offend believers. I'm just saying. Well, based upon what was written in the canon, he he was a social drinker, but he was a responsible alcohol drinker. He never drank too much or too little, right? And then I feel like His alcohol drinking was never a stumbling block to anybody, not even himself, not even um, God. Um, I feel that um, Jesus often went to weddings because in that culture, people were marrying all the time. It was the kind of culture where life expectancy was extremely cut short. So in that culture, because the birth control was not as effective as it is today, I'm not saying it to offend believers, but there were some forms of birth control, but because they tended to be subpar, you it, it was understood sex usually nine times out of nine point nine times out of ten meant babies were going to be born. And the ancient people understood that. It was understood, hey, if you ain't sexually engaged, just understand y'all gonna be a biological family, and they knew that. So Jesus went to weddings quite often because also the ancient world was big on being fruitful and multiply even their um, the Torah back then it was called the Torah it still is called that but back then it was what they knew to be God's words written down and that was encouraged because of Genesis, for example. So that particular wedding in Cana, that wasn't the only wedding he went to. I'm pretty sure weddings were normal for him to go to. I'm pretty sure every year he went to multiple weddings. That was just one of the ones recorded because, again, in his 33 years, 
marriage was a extremely big deal. It was way more of a big deal back then than it is now. Back then, marriage was the thing to do. Yes, there were some, there were small amounts of people who practiced celibacy. And yes, there were small amounts of people who chose not to have children. And yes, there were small amounts of people who did not marry, but they were considered abnormal back then. Most people at that time were married. They actually had a sex life because that's how you get the biological children. Um, I think Jesus often went to... He often went to people's homes because... That's where he resided in people's homes. So because he was used to staying in people's homes, I'm pretty sure other people invited him to their homes just to eat, just to relax, just to talk. So Jesus was in and out of people's homes quite often. He was that type of person that people felt comfortable with and when a lot of people feel comfortable with you you're going to be in multiple homes that's just how the human condition works and it worked out quite well for him um i'm pretty sure that jesus was in the marketplaces often because at that time there was no grocery stores no malls so you had to go out get water or get food or and you had to go to people who knew how to who could make your clothes and plus at that time There were people who, um, you know, like the, they had ritual bathing, um, they had their own style of laundry. I think it was more indoors. Um, even though I'm pretty sure in that world that, um, it was more communal. People left out for each other. It, it was a classist society, but, you know, human kindness is everywhere. When I look at Jesus physically... I do believe that he was a muscular person because of his occupations, his dieting, and his walking. I believe that he was a lean person. I believe he had strong hands. They may have been calloused because of, you know, like the weather and what he did for a living, his exercising, his being a nature person, and his 
in, in his meal, in his mealing. Um, I think that he had a firm grip when he hugged people, shook hands with people, but he, he, but he wasn't physically intimidating people at all. Um, I think that Jesus had short hair because in that culture, it was normal to wear short hair in men. And Paul talked about that in his writings. So uh, Jesus definitely had short hair. He definitely had a beard because at that time, beards were fashionable. Um, it You know, there wasn't a lot uh, from what I know um, in the Bible days, being clean shaven was not a big thing. I mean, I'm pretty sure there were some clean shaven guys back then, but a lot of the men had beards. Um, I see that in the New Testament and really a lot in the Old Testament. And um, in his culture, um, where he lived, Jewish men wore beards. That was what they felt was the philosopher look, the manly look. Um, they felt that that's how you differentiated from women. And the way Jesus wore beards, he wasn't misogynistic about it, but he did have that philosopher look. He chose to wear a beard because it was comfortable for him and it worked well for his hygiene best. And um, I want to make it clear that you, you can be clean shaven and manly, okay? And you can have long hair as a man and be manly, okay? I just want to re reiterate that. And that's no diss towards women at all. I just want to reiterate that. But I feel like with Jesus his hair he had scraggly facial hair but I think that it was like a beautiful scraggly I think he well kept it um and I think that um Jesus had afro textured hair I think he had afro textured head hair I think he had afro-textured facial hair, too. Um, I think that... So, uh, some scholars will say that Jesus was olive-colored skin. And that he may have had... Um, um, that look about himself but in my view I think th that um, that Jesus was a dark black skinned black man I think he was a black Jew a Jewish black man and the reason why I say that because I've read accounts of people in Egypt Jesus lived in Egypt so he may have had 
family members, relatives, and ancestry in Egypt. So I think that um, I think for Jesus, for example. He, along with other ancient Egyptians, including Mary and Joseph, I think they were um, suntanned. I think that they had dark brown eyes. I think that they had um, big nose, big lips, African features. And I feel that um, they were all black. Because I've never seen anybody in ancient Egypt in terms of people living there described in any other way. Now, some scholars might disagree because they may say, well, hieroglyphics doesn't mean that all of them look that way. But my thing is, how come that wasn't clearly laid out? I'm talking about people who are actually in ancient Egypt at that time visiting and I've, and they describe ancient Egyptians as woolly-haired and dark-skinned. And I'm just like, in dark black skin, or you know. And that's how they were described. And I just, sometimes with scholars, I'm just like, but if that were true, that the hieroglyphics, they don't all look that way, then the people visiting should have easily made that clear because they wrote down how the ancient Egyptians looked. I'm like, if that were true, the ancient Egyptians would have said, here is this olive-colored skin family from who are Jewish and they're from the Judea, Judeo region. Why wasn't that described? Why weren't how come people didn't say, oh, this is a, this family's white or this family is light skin. I've never seen that described. And so I find it, um, I find it weird that that didn't happen because, um, It's a it's the It's just very odd that there's even a controversy about this the Egyptian ancient Egyptian race controversy because example Herodotus the ancient Greek historian Described them as having dark skin with woolly hair. Okay? <laughs> if, if, how come that was the only way he saw them? And black, dark skin meant black skin at that time. You know, black with heat in the Nile region. 
Melon crows? I mean, come on. Like, there had to be more than one way. For them to be described, if it were true that not all of them were black. But that is not what I've read in history. And I will read and I've read perspectives of people said they weren't black or they were or not all of them were black. I'm like, but again, why did Herodotus just say that way? You know what I mean? If it, if Herodotus knew that they were not all black, he would have said that. I don't think that would not. That would not have been a problem for him to say, well, some were black skin and woolly hair, and but not all of them were. Okay, I would agree that they weren't black if he, they weren't all black if he said that, but the fact that he didn't say that, he was there at the time, I was not, he was alive at the time, I wasn't, I'm going with him. I think they were all black skin and woolly hair. I have not seen any other evidence just otherwise. So that, and the fact that Jesus and Mary Joseph lived there, you mean to tell me if you're around a bunch of black people and you see these olive skinned people, you mean to tell me nobody wrote down ever seeing them? You mean to tell me nobody ever talked about how he doesn't look like the rest of us? The parents don't look like the rest of us? You mean to tell me None of the rulers of Egypt and none of the residents of Egypt, nobody ever recorded seeing an olive skin colored Jewish family. You can't miss them. (laughs) That's why I think they're all black, because obviously there was never any write because not because a lot of the people at the time were illiterate, but there were a handful that could actually write. And there were also a handful who who did travel. I'm like, you mean to tell me nobody wrote down any description of a Middle Eastern family that looks like modern Middle Easterners today? Nobody wrote that back then? I'm not going to say the word. They didn't say modern. I'm just saying... The way that some scholars describe Jesus, they, they they say, oh, he looked no different than modern Middle Easterners say. I'm like, that's not what was written back then about him. If that were true, somebody would have recorded that. I can't imagine somebody looking so different. Nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to list a writer to say, hey, look at them. Right, right about them right now. They're right there. Right about them. Nobody? Uh, come on, man. Uh, that's why I believe that the ancient Egyptians were black. And I believe that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were black. And I believe they all had woolly hair. The ancient Egyptians had woolly hair. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had woolly hair. And they, they, you know, the big noses, the big lips, yep, they had all that. Yes, those are African features. And of course, not all black people have big nose, big lips, but come on. I know my people. It's, it's, a, it's, more, it's more common for us to have big nose and big lips than any other group of people. That's just how black features work. Um, okay, so 
my last statement on that was that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were Jewish black folks. They were black Jews. Now, when I look about how... Um, and I also feel that the, the, the ice groups of the Bible were, were black. And the reason why I feel that way was because... I've never seen anybody in the Bible described as white. And from what I've read about in history, I don't see descriptions that make it easy to know, okay, they were white people. I don't see that. And plus, um, there's a heavy black presence in the Bible according to the um, scriptures. So, the way that they were described and the fact that they were in Africa quite often and did a lot of business there and did a lot of intellectualism there too. Plus, in those days, you don't see people described other than how black people would be described today. Um, I've also noticed that um, I feel like the black Hebrews and black Israelites existed. Um, now, many people would try to put me in the black Hebrew Israelite membership, and I'm not a part of that world because I think differently than them. No diss to them. I just have my own set of values that I live by. But... I do feel that um, the ancient Israelites and ancient Hebrews were both black. And it may be possible that some of us may have them in our ancestry. I'm not saying for fully certain because I don't know who my very first ancestor of my family was. So I can't rule, I can't completely rule out that I, my, I had never had any ancestry within um, ancient Egypt or dangerous lights. I can't completely rule that out because in my family, we can't go that far back. But what I can say is it's a possibility that I could be a product from them and not know it. It, but I don't fully know my family history because we can't go all the way back to BC first century, you know. So, um, for me, I really, um,
I um And I do feel that um by the way the mummies had black features. Moving right along, so and, and hieroglyphics look exactly like black people today. Now I can really move right along. So when I look at um what was I saying? When Yeah, so being in um, the presence of um, history for myself, I also learned that um, Jesus and his family, I can imagine that sometimes they were mistreated because Jesus was a precocious, gifted, savant syndrome child. And um, I believe that Jesus was not neurotypical because the way he thought and processed information was not like everybody else. And... um, For example, he was just, he astounded people with his wisdom. Imagine if you're an adult religious leader and Jesus as a kid keeps making you feel stupid. And you question, do I need to go back to school because this child is outsmarting me? That's how they felt. So when I look at, um... So when I look at what happened in my life with him, with, um, when I look at what happened in my life, he reminds me of myself. So that's why I think Jesus was neurodivergent. I think he was neurodiverse. And I dare say he had autism. I think he had Asperger's syndrome, high function autism. Notice the people who are labeled low functioning, not at all. Um, that's just what I've observed by reading the scriptures and statements attributed to him. Um, I believe that, um, Jesus liked the party, but he wasn't a reckless party goer. He wasn't a reckless party person. Um, but, you know, I, I can see him dancing. I can't imagine... Jesus being popular with children. What adult doesn't dance with children, okay? I'm pretty sure he did more just take, put his hands on them, take his, take them in his arms, bless them. Jesus had an inner child. That's why kids liked him. And Jesus was goofy. He was playful. He was comedic. Um, 
I'm pretty sure he had an infectious laugh. I'm pretty sure his smile was contagious. I'm pretty sure he had a presence about himself that was just smooth. And, um, you know, Jesus was, in my view, he was an ambivert omnivert. He was the type of person that looked, I can't always be by myself all the time, but I can't always be crowded around with people all the time either. So Jesus was an ambivert, omnivert personality type. He was a bubbly, effervescent personality type. From what I read about him, he was, you know, when usually he was in a room or an environment, he lit it up by being himself. And from what I know about him, it says the sinners received him gladly, right? In my view, that's why when I look at what's going on in religion and secular society today, I do not think that the people that religious polite society calls sinners of our day, I don't think any of them would go to war with Jesus because I feel like they would feel like he understands me. I'm not weird or crazy or dumb to him. I don't feel like he insults my intelligence. I feel like we have common ground with him. That's why when I look at what's happening today in religion and secular society, and there's this uproar about, in the church, about about people who are considered lukewarm in the faith, about people who are considered zealots in the faith, about people who are in the middle, meaning grace and truth type so there's that fiasco in the church arguing over that some of the people are doing it not everybody in the church is doing that but I just I don't think Jesus was fire and brimstone the way that he made socially unacceptable people feel he wasn't a fire and brimstone person I also don't think he was the type of person that would excuse wrongdoing and leave people in their wrongs. He didn't do that either. He was neither both. I think that Jesus was in the middle. Um, I think that, um, you know, Jesus wasn't the private life police. At the same time, he was no fan of scandals. Um, he was not a fan of treachery. He was not a fan of lying. He was not a fan of stealing. He was not a fan of hypocrisy. And he's, he made that crystal clear many times how he feels about those subjects. Also, Jesus was a victim of embezzlement because Judas was a thief. He used to steal the him and the disciples' money. Technically, God's money, when you think about it. 
And um, so there was that kind of scandal amongst the disciples that Judas initiated. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot of times when I read the Bible, I often question can you really have consent in a patriarchal culture where the men run everything? They control everything about women. So when I read certain stories of the Bible that say he knew her and made love to her, I'm like, how can you be in how you know like like can you really have expressed consent in a patriarchal culture can you really have implied consent in a patriarchal culture can you really have opt-in consent in a patriarchal culture can you really have opt-out consent In a patriarchal culture, can you really have enthusiastic consent in a patriarchal culture? Can you really have reversible consent in a patriarchal culture? Can you really have specific consent in a patriarchal culture? Can you really have informed consent in a patriarchal culture? Can you really have freely given, unequivocally, voluntarily consent in a patriarchal culture? I'm very doubtful of that because you could write a letter of dismissal of your wife as a man and it was acceptable for men to have women concubines. So concubinage, harems was considered manly back then. But if a woman tried to have her versions of those things, oh, they would slut shame her like there was no tomorrow. And so my thing is, maybe there's more rape stories in the Bible because it makes me go, again, it's not a gender equality culture. In a gender equality culture, rape culture wouldn't be prevalent. But in patriarchal culture, oh, rape culture is prevalent. Because can a woman really say no? Proudly? No. What if she said no and didn't feel like it? Can she really resist a man? Again, men were the slave owners and they made women slaves. Women were chattel, thingamajig, thinghood property back then to, to men. So her no, it wasn't considered human for her to say no. So what if she, so if she said yes, it can't be an enthusiastic yes because she's saying yes because of female subservience to men. So her yes and her no, I can't consider any that enthusiastic. I'm starting to maybe all the Bible stories are rape stories. Because it's like, I don't see consent being, being, 
unambiguously stated. Again, it's a culture where someone has supremacy and superiority over somebody. That's why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And I feel like um, I just feel like, you know, for me, when I study um, Jesus overall, I just never got a view that the sinners of our day, as the church would call them, I don't think he would be feuding with them. I don't think they would be feuding with him. I don't think there would be any discord, disenchantment, disillusionment. And disdainfulness between the two, Jesus and them, you know, sinners of our day, the church would call them. I just don't see that. Um, for example, honestly, I don't think strippers and porn performers would blackball Jesus or attack him because the way he came at people that were considered socially unacceptable I never saw any instance in the Bible or what I read about in history that would lead me to think that he didn't come at them with venom he didn't come at them condemnatory what he did was they accepted him because he accepted them that's how people were treated it was like that's how people treated by him he was the type that Even if how you were living was condemned by the religious leaders of their day, as in our day too, never once in the Bible did I see Jesus make socially unacceptable people feel like they are disposable rubbish. If anything, they felt a sense of They felt a sense of relief because, wow, I'm worthy of empathy. Wow, I can be treated well. Wow, I'm worthy of love. Wow, life can, like, you know, I can have calmness in my life. And I don't have to have people coming at me crazily. 
And I noticed that when it came to the Bible, Jesus was a champion of not engaging in self-destructive behavior. And Jesus was a champion of um, of people not um, of people not self-sabotaging too. Um, in my last statement about Jesus, um, no, 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 I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going, I need to rush. I feel like when it comes to um, the crucifixion, there was some people who were labeled blind that followed him on the road. So the question is, were they there when he was crucified? Because the Bible doesn't mention them after, but he healed their sight. According to what scripture says. And um, they may have been there when he was crucified. The men who were blind, but they could see because of Jesus and they followed him along the road. No, the ones who said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he asked him, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? I want our sight. And he he granted their request because of their faith in him. So, I mean... That's what scripture says. I don't know if scholars, scientists, historians may see that story differently. But either way, they could both agree that he did have unconventional disciples. Um, So. Overall, I just feel like when Jesus preached. I don't think he would be the kind of preacher that would be acceptable in televangelism today because he wasn't big on large crowds, large, you know, mega churches. He wasn't, that wasn't what he thought about when he was being himself. When he preached, yeah, it was packed, not not for any wrong reasons in my view, but the synagogues, I think, and temples were packed because of who he was. Now, some people may have came there for the wrong reasons, but most of the people did not. But even the ones that came for the wrong reasons, he had a way of preaching that made them feel as that made them have to correct themselves for being there for the wrong reasons. Now they had to, okay, I'm here, so I'm gonna be here for the right reasons. I'm pretty sure when Jesus preached. He, everybody felt that they were lovingly addressed by him. Now, there are some stories where, of course, you know, 
hey, you're saying that Gentiles have access to salvation like the Jews, push them off the cliff. So preaching wasn't always rosy for him. I get that. But most of the time and when he preached, in my view, he had a way of preaching where nobody felt like, oh, he's not addressing me in my pain. So in my view, this may be controversial, but it must be said. I think when Jesus preached, no rape survivor felt invisible. No domestic violence survivor felt invisible. No child abuse survivor felt invisible. No adult abuse survivor felt invisible. No intimate partner sexual violence survivor felt invisible. No domestic sexual violence survivor felt invisible. Nobody felt invisible when he preached. I think that's why he was such a sensation when he preached. He was never silent on what so many church leaders are silent on today. He And I'm pretty sure when Jesus preached, he made it clear that he hates cover-ups of scandals. He hates cover-ups of abuse. He hates cover-ups of trauma. He hates cover-ups of um of crime i'm pretty sure he made that clear i'm pretty sure some synagogues are like okay we can't have him back because he's threatening our business but i'm pretty sure they but but the people want him back so we feel insulted but he's good for our business but we wish he we you know the people didn't want him so we can really feel vindicated that he's bad for our business that was jesus I'm pretty sure some of them got kicked him out, but I'm pretty sure there was an uproar where, okay, we have to invite him back. Because Jesus was preaching and teaching in favor of the outcasts over the pristine, prestige people. So I'm pretty sure... Jesus did what Martin Luther King Jr. I'm sorry... The late pastor Martin Luther King Jr. did. Um, I'm pretty sure he had meetings with leaders of commerce, law, and politics. And I think some of those people couldn't stand him because, oh my God, he's talking against our greed and our vanity. And he's ruining our economic powerhousing. I'm pretty sure a lot of them appreciated him because they're like, oh, wow. You know, Jesus, the activist, the advocate. All right. They have respect. Some, a lot of them have respect for him. I think, you know, overall, any new thing I can say about Jesus right in this episode, I will, I'll make a last statement about Jesus. I just feel like Jesus was charismatic. I do have a concern. It says, did you know that the name Jesus, which is commonly known in Christianity today, actually did not exist until about 500 years ago. In fact, the letter J does not even exist in the Hebrew, Latin, or Greek. 
There is no letter J in any language prior to the 14th century in England. The letter did not become widely used until the 17th century. The, the, the letter J is no more than 600 years old. How can a man who lived over 2,000 years ago be named Jesus? Oh my God. Could it be impossible for Jesus to be the name above all names? But Yeshua, Jesus, I'm sorry, Yeshua, Joshua, that his Greek name is Joshua. Yeah, why do we call him Jesus? Yeah, who is Job since there's no letter in J in Hebrew? And, um, okay, sidebar, I think the Bible, the other Bible characters were black. Okay, now I can make my last statement on Jesus. I feel like, um, I feel that Jesus was at least... Five one to five feet five inches because of the um, average height of men at that time. But the shroud of Torin means he could have been taller than five five because there are striking similarities between the details of the shroud of Torin and how Jesus died. So. I'm going to put that in there. I think that if Jesus was weighed in terms of boxing, he would be a lightweight or a heavyweight. But he wasn't, but he, but Jesus was definitely slim and trim. Um, didn't have fast restaurants like they do today. So Jesus was slim and trim, but I think he would either be a lightweight or a heavyweight in terms of weighing him today. So um, those are my final thoughts on Jesus. Jesus may have been crucified on an X-shaped cross, but... It's also possible that he could have also been crucified on a T-shaped cross. The shape of the cross is up in the air amongst scholars, but what I can't say is that um, if Jesus were alive today, he would be angered that and appalled that many that bigots go, well, 
Jesus is the reason why we champion discriminatory traditions, discriminatory policies, discriminatory ideas, discriminatory practice, discriminatory laws, and discriminatory institutions. And what I see nowadays, if Jesus were alive today, he would war against institutional discrimination, structural discrimination, ageism, caste systems, classism, dialect discrimination, ableism, genetic discrimination, discrimination based on hair texture, height discrimination, linguistic discrimination, lookism, sanism, racism, discrimination based on skin color, scientific racism, rankism, Sexism, sexual orientation, discrimination, speciesism, sizeism, and viewpoint discrimination. He may have, between the lost years of 12 and 30, he may have encountered Buddhist teachings. He may have stayed where he was totally. He may have traveled elsewhere. We don't know. Um, And Joseph may have died before he was 20 or a little after he was 20. We just know that by 30, it was just him and his mother, Mary. And, um, you know, I feel like um, just learning about him, and this will be my final statement, was that... uh, I feel like Jesus washed people's feet and let people wash their feet, especially women. And um, I think he did that because He was not a germaphobe, that's for certain. Can't be a germaphobe and do those things. And that he, um... That was his way of being spiritually intimate. Um, okay, the very last statement I'll make about him is this. I think that, um, if Jesus were alive... Today... I think that he would um, be someone that hate groups and and those of hate speech would try to kill.
because of the hate groups and hate speech that killed him of his day. In our modern day, he would be a victim of assassination.